What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Who was it that Catherine Hepburn or Betty Davis or Lauren McCall, one of them said, you know, at my age I can say and do whatever the hell I want to say or do. Or Is that how you feel now? Pretty much, yeah. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Death is death. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Do it. Right here in a parking lot. And need to talk about more. Pay that man his money. I'm Anna Sale. Am I too This Lucinda Williams song, Am I Too Blue, is from her self-titled album, which came out in 1988. It's one of my favorites of all time. It's tough, sexy, and refuses to gloss over the pain of loss. Lucinda's in her 60s now, but all her life she's been writing songs about death, sex, and money. Or at least death and sex. (laughs) (laughs) Do I have any songs about money? Let's see. I feel like... Yeah, there are a couple of lines here and there. There's a line in Buttercup that says, and now you want to borrow... You rough me up, and now you want to borrow money, or something like that. (laughs) You already sucked me dry. Who's that about? This ex-boyfriend. Uh-huh. You know, he was he was in a sober living house when I met him, and I thought, this, this will be cool. This guy will be cool. No. So he moved out, moved in with me, and started drinking again. Then, unbeknownst to me, he started messing around with heroin. So to make a long story short, I became... I know what it's like to be a battered woman. Let's put it that way. And it was like looking at him like his eyes. I was thinking to myself, I'm going to die. You know, this must be how it feels. So now I understand. You always think, oh, why don't they just leave? And Why didn't you just leave? Because, you know, you kind of go into this numb state. It's kind of like a kid does when a kid is growing up in a dysfunctional family. Like when the parents are fighting or whatever, you know, and the kid kind of goes into that sort of like protective mode of, you know, getting real quiet and going and hiding in the closet, you know. And I know I know what that's like, too. Um, you know, you get in these relationships and you get stuck. Yeah. 
Well, we just dove right into it there. We got right into it. (laughs) (laughs) And my, yeah, my my publicist is sitting out here with this bewildered look on his face like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know this, Lou. (laughs) This is how my conversation with Lucinda Williams started. She was in Nashville. I was in New York. So we couldn't see each other. But she didn't flinch from the broken and messy moments of life. I've always enjoyed pushing people's buttons, you know. I don't think I have any filters left anymore. Lucinda's newest album is called The Ghosts of Highway 20. It's named for the interstate that runs from Texas to South Carolina, cutting through Louisiana, where Lucinda's from. I know this road, the back of my head. Same with the stations, only FM Farms and truck stops, fireworks stands. Lucinda was born in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Her father, Miller Williams, was a noted Southern poet. Her mother, Lucille, studied piano at Louisiana State. The family traveled around a lot for Lucinda's dad's work as he took different fellowships and teaching positions to places like Chile and Mexico, but they always circled back to the American South. Lucinda's the oldest of three kids, but she remembers feeling pretty solitary growing up. I always felt different, you know, and um, just kind of more... I think I had a little, well, a lot of it had to do with all the traveling we did. Were you lonely when you were growing up? Was I lonely? Mm-hmm. No, I don't remember feeling, no, because I just, I loved, I could escape into my, you know, artistic world. Mm. I was extremely shy when I was a kid and very sensitive. You know, as soon as I learned to read and write, I was, I had, I put this, this notebook together of seven poems and a short story by Cindy Williams. Lucinda's my full name, but I was called Cindy when I was growing up. My dad remembered when I was in first grade, I think it was first grade or second grade. This was in Macon, Georgia, and, you know, the kids in my class were asked to bring in a sample of, you know, their ho- whatever their hobby was. And I brought in my my folder, you know, my notebook folder thing, seven points and a short story. Oh. <laughs> and there it sat next to all the other, you know, rock collections and whatever else the kids brought in. When Lucinda was about nine or ten, her parents split up. Her mom moved out of the house. We lived with my dad. That's the thing. In 1960-something, I mean, when your parents split up, you didn't move in with your dad. Yeah. My mother moved out. You know, my dad helped her get a place. You know, that's all just kind of a big blur. Um, I don't remember exactly when, you know, they separated there's a picture of us with my stepmother that same year, you know, but then there's also a picture of 
my stepmother and my mother, you know, in the same room. So it it was all very kind of unusual. You know, my mother, she was diagnosed with technically paranoid schizophrenic tendencies and manic depression. I think that's what it was. So she was always in therapy. I mean, from the time, probably since pretty close to after the time I was born, she was in and out of mental hospitals. Did you understand when you were a girl that your mother was sick? Yes, because my dad was actually quite protective of her. And he would say, it's not her fault, she's not well, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you know, because all kids have, when you don't get that nurturing, maternal nurturing, that that's sort of what defines, you know, how you're going to relate and deal with the world for the rest of your life. So I don't blame my dad for that's how he dealt with it. There's a part of that that's healthy. The only problem is that I was never, you know, sort of given permission or never gave myself permission to, you know, be angry at my mother. So that's all in there somewhere. See how much I know about therapy? (laughs) This is because my mother... Because my mother was in therapy all my life. And, you know, she would talk about Carl Jung. I mean, she read all the books. She had them all. You know, the, the paperbacks from I'm okay, you're okay. I've got them all now. Lucinda's commercial breakthrough was this song, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road. It came out when she was 45. It was her first gold album, and the title track describes a little girl trying to make sense of the world around her. Child in the backseat, five, four, five years, looking out the window. Little bit of dirt mixed with tears, car wheels on a gravel A lot of the time, Lucinda was in that car with her dad. These were the years, you know, when my mother wasn't well, when she wasn't having a good day or something, you know, he would take us with him somewhere, you know, on a drive or something. He took me with him when he went to visit Flanner O'Connor when I was about four or five or something. Flanner O'Connor was, he described her as his greatest teacher, and so she was kind of a mentor. So she, he, she invited him to her house in Milledgeville, Georgia. When we got there... Was it just you and him? I think it was just... Yeah, I think it was just me. And when we got there, we had to wait on the front porch because Flannery was riding. She had a very strict riding schedule. And, you know, she would not receive guests as they used to say. So then finally, you know, she came out and greeted us and everything, and she raised peacocks. <laughs> really? And they were running around all over the place. Yeah, and my dad, I don't, I very, I vaguely recall this because I was probably about four. 
Uh, but he says, you know, that I was chasing her peacocks, and apparently I got a big thrill out of that. I'd say that's pretty exciting to get to chase Flannery O'Connor's peacocks yeah. around the yard. <laughs> <laughs> I grabbed onto her work when I was probably about 15 or 16, you know, because she deals with a lot of madness and people who don't fit into society and, you know, just read everything I could get my hands on. Who do you remember being your allies when you were a young teenager, when you're 12, 13, 14? Um, my dad. I mean, I was really close. You know, he saved me, really, because we formed this really, really close bond. That lasted throughout her life. After Lucinda started playing guitar, she and her dad became an act of sorts. At parties, we would have other writers and around, and you know, sitting and drinking and talking, and you know, I would go get my guitar and, you know, play some songs, and I'd say, "Dad, tell us, tell everybody about the time you met Hank Williams," and I would sit and play softly in the background that hymn farther along, you know. Tempted and tried, we're off made to wonder. This was at a certain point in the evening, you know, when everybody had a few drinks, and my dad would sort of start testifying, you know, like a Methodist minister. Well, let me tell you about the time I met Hank Williams, you know. <laughs> the story goes, Lucinda's dad met Hank Williams at one of his concerts, not long before Lucinda was born. They went to a bar afterwards, and... Hank asked my dad what he wanted to drink, and my dad said something like bourbon and water or something. And and Hank said, Williams, you ought to be drinking beer because you got a beer-drinking soul. That's so, a cool thing to be told by Hank Williams. Yeah. <laughs> so they, you know, he could see, because my dad was the poet and all that, you know. Yeah. Wearing the, the jacket with the leather elbow patches, you know, and... But he was, you know, underneath all that, he was an Arkansas country boy, you know. And, and Hank, just, you know, saw that in my dad. And my dad used to love to tell that story. Coming up, Lucinda tells the story of saying goodbye to her dad on New Year's Day last year. He died on the same day Hank Williams died. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. You have been sending in the songs that have been your anthems of change. More than 450 so far. And I have to tell you, they are awesome. The top anthem so far is Landslide. So first, thank you, Stevie, for being there for so many of us. We also got a lot of mentions of the song This Year by the Mountain Goats. A listener named BJ said, There's no other way to put it. It was a clusterfuck of a year. My husband was in Afghanistan. I'd moved to a lonely new city in a disappointingly tedious new job. I had recurring health issues that no one could explain. A trainee dentist shattered a tooth into my jaw. My house flooded. My pets got cancer. And I was, perhaps unsurprisingly, diagnosed with depression. And so I listened to this song. I am gonna make it through this year If it kills me For Celeste, her anthem is Queen by Janelle Monet with Erica Badu. And Jessie Merritt remembers the band Queen getting her through a breakup in her 20s. I will always be grateful for what I learned in that relationship and that feeling in my gut that closed the door, didn't look back, and turned up the radio as I drove away. I want to break free. So many good songs that we all need every once in a while. So keep submitting your anthems of change. Instead of one playlist, we're going to make a few and we'll start sharing them soon. Imagine what we'll do with these tunes backing us up. On the next episode, comedian Michael Ian Black talks about life at 44, living in a house he can't afford, worrying about his mother's failing health, and paying attention to his waistline. Around 40, you go, oh, something has changed. And what has changed, uh, physiologically, I couldn't tell you. But I know what the results are. And the results are 
uh, I now have what we delicately call a paunch. A small one. Yeah. And I saw you look down at it. (laughs) This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Lucinda Williams' mother died more than 10 years ago. Her father, Miller Williams, died at the beginning of last year. But Lucinda knew she was losing him before that, from Alzheimer's. I tell you what, the uh, the moment that I really, that shook me, you know, we were sitting and having wine and relaxing in the late afternoon in the sunroom. And I was sitting next to my dad, and I forget how the subject came up, but he said in a real calm, straightforward voice, I can't write poetry anymore. And I said, what? And he said, I can't write poetry anymore. (sighs) And I just... (sighs) I just lost it. Just like I'm doing right now. So that, oh, I just sat there and just cried. And that was, you know, that was really the, that was when I lost him. It was just so intense because I was part of who he was, you know. I mean, that was his whole identity. And it's, it's kind of it's stunning that he was able to to recognize that and to say that. Yeah, it's not something you noticed. It was something he was letting go of. Exactly. Yeah, because I wouldn't have known otherwise. Did you feel like that was him trying to say goodbye to you? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I guess. And then the last the last time I saw him was in August. My album had just come out not too long before that, and I'd taken one of his poem called Compassion and, and turned it into a song. Um, my stepmother, Jordan, arranged to have a, for me to play just by myself at the house, have a little, you know, house concert. I wrote this song from Dad's poem called Compassion. And it wasn't easy. (laughs) My dad read, he was still able to read a poem, you know. So we have him on film, you know, reading his poem, Compassion, and then me singing the song. Have compassion for everyone you meet, even if they don't want it. What seems conceit, bad manners, or cynicism is always a sign of things no ears have heard, no eyes have seen. You do not know what wars are going on down there where the spirit meets the ball. Have compassion for everyone you meet, even if they don't want it. What seems to see is always a sign, always a sign, always. 
For those you encounter Have compassion Even if they don't want it What seems bad manners Is always a sign Always a sign Always a sign Has there been anything about mourning your parents that surprised you? Um, I don't know. I feel like I haven't really, like, it seems like I, I mean, the grieving process is so strange because with my dad, it was so different because he and I had such a different relationship than I did with my mother. But her death was a complete surprise and shock. She had gone in the hospital and, you know, we it, with what seemed like just a routine thing. It seems like I cried more when my mother died. We, I just didn't, you know, we didn't. There were a lot of things I didn't get to say. All I can say is it's just I don't like the aging process. I don't like getting older because of all the loss. You know, it just gets harder and harder. We gotta stand right by each other, gotta try harder, baby. I gotta stand right by you, and you gotta stand right by me. We gotta stand right by each other, gotta try harder, baby. I gotta stand right by you, and you gotta stand right by me. I gotta push myself, but you gotta push yourself. I can't do it, baby. One new thing that's come into Lucinda's life in the last few years is her marriage. She got married at age 56 to her manager, Tom Overby, on stage during an encore in Minneapolis. Tom, I give you this ring as a symbol of my vow. Tom, I give you this ring as a symbol of my vow. With all that I am and all that I have. With all that I am and all that I have. I honor you. I honor you. Has losing your parents, do you feel like that's affected your marriage? Are you feeling it in your marriage? I thank God every day that I have Tom. He lost his dad right before mine. His dad had a form of dementia also. And when his dad died, you know, his parents were Catholic. His mother was very, you know... I envied her faith, hmm. all of the rituals and everything, you know, the caskets there at the, at the cemetery, and the priest has the vial of holy water and hands it to each one of the family members, you know, and you sprinkle it over the casket. And I used to think, oh, you know, that's none of that's necessary, you know, just dig a hole in the ground or whatever. But I really felt there was just something really precious about it. Yeah. You know, and because his mother was so, you could tell, she just believed and she was so genuine. I mean, 
I remember sitting there, and Tom's mother, everyone else was sitting, and she walked up by herself and walked up to the to Tom's dad laying there and, you know, and spoke to him. And I just, I cried then. That's when I, I just cried like a baby. That was one of the most moving things I've ever seen. And basically she was saying, I'll be there, save a place for me. And, you know, she meant it. Someone told me there's a better place We've talked about death, but we didn't talk about sex or money. I know. I have have some questions. (laughs) How do you think about sex at this point in your life? God. I tell you what, it's a drag getting older. I just, I said that before and I'll say it again. I don't care what everybody says. Oh, it gets better. Crap. No. (laughs) It fucking sucks. You know what? Everything dries up. It all dries up. So I'm just like, fuck it. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your honesty. Often when I ask... I I can't believe I just said this on the (laughs) fucking radio. (laughs) It's nothing sacred anymore. (laughs) I'm like, who do I think I am? You know, uh, Tina Fey, you know? Oh, God. <laughs> How unromantic. <laughs> um, do you expect to make more money this year than last year? Hell yes. Hell yes? Oh, God, yes. Why do yeah. you say it that way? It's taken over the sex. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> because I'm getting, I'm just more successful. It's amazing. I'm definitely an anomaly. I'm 62 years old, out on the road. Selling out shows. So, you know, that's some consolation, I guess, to having to deal with this fucking age thing. That's Lucinda Williams. She turned 63 last month. Her latest album, Ghosts of Highway 20, is available February 5th. And you can see a list of all her songs in this episode on our website at deathsexmoney.org. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios. The team includes Katie Bishop, Chester Jesus Soria, Emily Botine, Hannah McCarthy, and Andrew Dunn. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money. Keep sending in the songs that have gotten you through big changes in life or helped you realize that you need to make a change. If you want to try one from Lucinda, I recommend the song Side of the Road. Send your picks to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org or follow the link on our website at deathsexmoney.org. This is the most open. It sort of reminds me of the Mark Marin. And this has just now gone one step further. 
you know, yeah, maybe because he didn't get to menopause. Yeah, we no, covered exactly. menopause. <laughs> yeah, we didn't talk about menopause. <laughs> I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. 